Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Hello, my name is Elaine miller Karras, and this is Resiliency Within. I want to let you all know that we're also live on Facebook at the Resiliency Within Facebook page. And if you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. So we have a little change in our show today. Um, and I just want to uh, let you know that my dear friend, Wendy Flick, is joining me. She is the International Coordinator for the Trauma Resiliency Model. And the show that was scheduled today with Brooklyn Rainey, we hope to reschedule at a future time. So, Wendy um, and I have been working very closely together, really for close to 20 years. I first met her in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and through a series of events, um, I was invited to go to um, Nairobi, Kenya, when Wendy was working with the Pond Foundation, and you were working with Equality Now as well, trying to bring attention um, to women in Africa who were dealing with uh, female genital mutilation. So it was one of the first times that I it was the first time I went to Africa. And I was really, I was happy to, I could take my daughter as my assistant. And I know that experience changed her life. But I have much gratitude towards Wendy for not only inviting me to go to Africa, but for the associations that we've had since then. So after she um, had left the Pond Foundation, she went off to um, Boston, Massachusetts to get her master's from, it was the Kennedy School, is that right? Um, At Harvard University. And then she began working at um, Unitarian Universal Service Committee. And she knew about the models that we have brought forth in the world and the power of them for healing. So she, along with her colleague, Tema Aklay, said, can you put together some projects for us? And really the first project that we shared together was in Haiti. And we'll talk a little bit more about that because we learned so much from the Haitians, from the ama- amazing resilience of those folks. Um, Wendy is, uh, can speak Creole, and she certainly has helped me many times when we were uh, literally in crisis situations in Haiti. Um, but we also have been uh, she was also she coordinated um, our projects in Nepal, Tanzania, the Philippines. I mean, it goes on and on. The uh, the amount of time that we've spent together internationally, I think, has really changed and transformed both of us. And I'm hoping that she'll talk a little bit about that. But um, let's see. It's now. Let's see, I'll say it's on February 24th. We had a scheduled meeting with our colleagues at EdCamp Ukraine. EdCamp Ukraine is an educational organization within Ukraine that has, um, I think they have over 35,000 teachers that are members of of EdCamp Ukraine. And they have launched a very important project there that's called C-Learning. We've had people from C-Learning on the show over the last year and a half. Um, And that is an amazing um, program that was inspired by His Holiness the Dalai Lama but it's to bring ethical and compassionate learning to our world's children. And I think what's so important about that is 
uh, for me, it was important because I was a senior consultant. And I was so humbled to be asked to be a part of that. But what I didn't know then and that I know now is that chapter two is um, really uh, is the community resiliency model, their resiliency skills. And because they're as part of C learning, that means that Ukrainians were learning about the model long before the sadness and horror of the war that started in, on the 24th of February. So quickly, we said to Wendy, Wendy, we have a new project. And will you coordinate um, the what's has now called the Ukrainian um, Humanitarian Resiliency Project? So that's the name of the project that we launched through the Trauma Resource Institute that many of you know that they are a sponsor. So over the last, let's say, four days in February, 31 days in March, and we're on day 11 here, with the exception of two days, we have been offering daily support meetings to Ukrainian teachers, parents, community leaders, people that are within Ukraine, outside of Ukraine, dealing with how in just a short period of time, their lives have been turned upside down and displaced. We have learned so much. And also for the Trauma Resource Institute, this is a paradigm shift. We've been to so many places after conflicts, earthquakes, typhoons, um, mass shootings. But this is the first time that through our association with Ed Camp and a wonderful man named Alexander Elkin, who's also inspired bringing sea learning to Ukraine, that we could do this during war. We hate that war exists. We want peace. I know the Ukrainians want peace. But because of this, um, we have been able to do something we've never done, which makes the offering of our wellness skills accessible. We already know they're affordable, but they are so transportable. And also that in really within 24 hours, we adapted our, um, our PowerPoints and we translated them in Ukrainian so that we could deliver them in real time. To the, Ukraine, to the people of Ukraine. And I have to say very proudly, we were having a conversation, um, Wendy and I, with them day before yesterday, and they've told us that close to 80,000 views have happened on their EdCamp Facebook page of the offerings that we've had. So I have to say, Wendy, have we ever been, been able to impact that many people within a short period of time? So I know I could go on and on, but I want Wendy to say something because she's really been so critical in making this happen, because I want to say she has been the only person in our organization that has been at every single meeting. So you know I have a deep bow to you for that, Wendy. You have given up much of your life to do this. And I know that you, like our organization, like myself and so many volunteers that we've had, are so committed to helping people heal during conflict. And we have fallen in love with Ukrainians. Let's just face it. We're, we feel like we're Ukrainians now, whether we have Ukrainian blood or not. So, Wendy, over to you. Give us your impressions and ideas of what's happened. Wow. So much to, un to unpack, but it has really been just such an honor and such a sacred space, I feel like, because we are sitting here in a position of relative privilege in our homes in the United States. But for these couple of hours at a time every day, we do the best we can to share their reality. I know you can't really, but we really tried to go there and embrace 
the pain, the suffering, what's going on with them and help them with these wellness skills. And to me, it's almost miraculous. The, the feedback we get from them, they say it's just a lifeline for them. I mean, they're in the middle of war. I remember An- Anya was, um, she's one of the EdCamp members and she was uh, on the call every day for the first 10 days or two weeks she was in a shelter doing the the calls from in the shelter. And it's just, I, I just, it's hard to even find the words for how much I, they inspire me and how much I respect them. And Natalia, the translator, has also been on all of the meetings, but two, and she has had sirens going off in the background. And I mean, it, it has just been such a humbling experience Um, But also, as Elaine said, I mean, this is new territory for us. As much international experience as TRI has had, it's always been post-disaster. And part of that is because we had to write the grants and find translators and things like that. But one of the odd gifts that came out of COVID (laughs) pandemic. The odd gifts is right. Well, I'm just saying, you know, that that helps me in these times of chaos is to remind myself that in the past, odd gifts often emerge. And so it kind of helps. This is the what else is true that we talk about, right? What else is true? So that keeps me in my own resilience zone, even with the horrors that we, we are hearing about and, and witnessing but at the same time, you know, it's, it's just miraculous that we got to this space. We literally started the webinars within 48 hours of when the bombings started. And that just boggles my mind that there wasn't any gap in time. We didn't let them down. And that's well, the commitment you're talking about, not letting them down. Yeah, and I think we all feel that way. We'll get up whatever time we need to get up in the morning because we're in different time zones and we will make sure that we're there because, you know, it's been a very odd experience too because um, we've been in this odd, what I call like the bubble of war for these yeah. few hours a day. And then we pivot back into life in America without war for most of us. I mean, I don't want to minimize the fact that we know that people live in parts of America that have so much violence as well. But I, I think it's been a, a, it's been an, um, a very powerful, sacred experience for me and one where I feel humbled that we have been able to provide this. And the other thing, you know, Wendy, I just want to say for people that are listening, like when Wendy would help us put projects together and there was an event that happened in wherever it was, We'd have to think about, okay, who can go? Do they have passports? We have to get insurance if there's anything that happens over there. Is there, can, is it safe to go? Because sometimes we were always, you know, is it safe? But certainly it's not safe to be in Ukraine right now. So that safety issue may have prevented our nonprofit from responding. But then we'd have to say, how do we get the money? And not only do you get the money, but you also, you know, when you do international response work like we have, and even work within our own country, you have to have people that are sponsoring you to come into the country because just showing up sometimes, and we've seen that, is not the best way. And sometimes people that just show up take away from much needed services that people need when there is a disaster. So I'm just thinking all the things, the logistics coordinator, Wendy, that you and I have collaborated upon over the years and how this is different. Do you think you can talk a little bit about that? Because I think we need to elaborate upon how this is really a paradigm shift. Yeah. And there are also common denominators that jump out too. As you were saying that, the common denominators are the relationships. 
because as we did after the Haiti earthquake, we had a prior relationship with some of the people on the ground, some of the strong organizations like MPP. But um, and in this case, fortunately, we had already established the relationship with EdCamp. And so the relationship, that part is hard to imagine doing it without. Truthfully. Uh, you know, and I think that's when you talk about systems change and you talk about how do we as a world community think about, you know, we really think that our um, model, the community resiliency model is really about scalability uh, skills that really help with mental health, not only during but after disaster. Not only do we think that, we now have research that is really supporting that from really eminent centers like Emory University, Loma Linda University, and many other folks that are that are really doing research about our about our models. So when we think about that, um, the scalability of mental health skills, yeah. it really does like it. I'm kind of awestruck about what what has happened, right? Because I would never have imagined that would be, but we already had a relationship. So those of you who may be thinking about, oh, I have a great idea and I want to bring something to Ukrainians, individuals too. How do I get there? Um, How do I get anywhere where there's a conflict, right? Is that there has to be some relationship uh, for those um, individuals. Because I was thinking, gosh, we didn't do this when the Syrian um, conflict happened. You know, right now the Uyghurs are, are experiencing so much regarding the genocide that's happening. And now my brain is like expanding going, well, how can we do what we've done here? But it's relationship, 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 right, Wendy? Because I think you had relationships, Atema had relationships, and certainly the Unitarian Universal Service Committee had relationships as well. Yeah, that, that's correct. And that said, especially in a crisis, you know, I'm sure when you landed in Thailand, you didn't necessarily know very many people, but this is such an accessible model. That's, it's both and. It's fantastic if you have the relationship, you're, you're a step ahead. But if you don't, and you're showing up with, with a good heart with, and with simple accessible skills, such as the CRIM skills, that becomes so apparent so quickly to people. Because it's not, we talk about neuroscience, but this is accessible neuroscience. You don't have to memorize all the parts of the brain and things like that. For people who are curious, they can learn that part. But all they really want is to feel better. And that we can bring, and that helps build relationship and trust much more quickly than less accessible models. Well, and I think that we've heard that, you know, maybe what we can also um, highlight a little bit, I think, you know, we always, when we have our meetings, first of all, we have a 30-minute uh, pre-meeting with our team because our team is fluctuating because they're volunteer trauma therapist and community resiliency model teachers. Um, and we always have a pre-meeting because oftentimes we'll get questions about um, an issue that people are dealing with. So, people are constantly kind of pushing questions to EdCamp Ukraine. And then we're actually getting to the point now where we're having theme days. Today was a theme day that we did this morning that was about children. And maybe we can talk a little bit about the questions that came up today. But I have to say, I was thinking there afterwards in our after meeting, because we always debrief, because we also are supporting our therapists, because they're also in this bubble of war. And things that we hear and that we see, like when our our wonderful translator, Natalia, um, all of a sudden we heard the sirens. All of a sudden we see something in her. She's looking up and all of a sudden she says, I have to go. 
we don't know what that means. Fortunately, she, within about, what, five minutes, she goes, oh, I'm in a safer space right now. Now, it was in the hallway of her home. That didn't seem quite safe to me, but that was safer to her, right? Because she's not by windows. Sometimes if there's the explosions, right, the the windows end up being um, objects that fly through the air that cause a lot of harm to people. So she was in a hallway and she was back and she didn't want to stop. We had, we had um, other translators that we have from America that, but she says, no, this is my job right now. This is what she feels she wants to do because it's like a mission, right? Don't you think that with her? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the remarkable things about her, as long as we're talking about Natalia is she did know a little bit about the sea learning and the sort of basic ideas of the crim skills. But boy, has she become an expert through translating this. And you can tell she's, she, she's picking up on those nuances. And if, if there's anything we forgot to put in, she'll say, do you want me to also mention sense the pleasant sensations and things? She always slips in those extra little brilliant things. And you can see her as she's translating. She uses the hand model for the brain. Even if we haven't asked her to, have you noticed that? She, I've noticed that. You, yes. You can track her and her nonverbal ability. She, she's just become a trainer. Just, <laughs> she, she has. And, you know, this is so one of the things we're always saying, you know, track sensations. Many times people start to cry and I'll say, well, just notice your tears and the warmth of tears. Well, today, um, Anna, who's been, we, always, we call her, she has so much wisdom. Anna was thanking our team at the end. And she said she was just expressing her gratitude kind of in a deeper way, don't you think, yeah, Wendy, I than usually yeah. she does? So I started tearing up, but I didn't say anything about it. But then all of a sudden, Natalia goes, Elaine, are those tears in your eyes? And I thought, oh, my goodness, there, there you have you it. You can't get away with anything. Yeah, I got the teacher has, you know, it's like the student has become the teacher, right? So exactly. she's noticing. And of course, these were like, it was gratitude tears. They weren't sorrowful tears yeah. that we could, you know, it was kind of the expression of what we've been able to do in this short period of time. Well, that, Elaine, and also I think the topic for today being children and teachers Yes. I think that that really struck home with with all of us. Um, both of my parents were teachers, and I just witnessed from a very young age how much extra. I mean, everybody works hard at their job, and but there's just some kind of. I just have a soft spot in my own heart for how p- teachers become like surrogate parents and really care on such a deep level, and just to be able to support them with the wellness skills as well as the children that they're working with was, it it blew my mind today. It was just really beautiful. Well, maybe we can talk about, let's share, I'm going to share the second question that was asked of us. And maybe we can talk a little about, about that because I think it'd be good for our audience to know we're getting all sorts of questions on so many different ways. I can't, I mean, questions about, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to be raped. I'm afraid to be tortured. We know that many, We've heard that up to 20% of people in the um, areas that have had a lot of um, the Russian invasion, um, 20% of, of women have been raped. I mean, that's a horrible number. We've been able to address that. Um, we've, people have shared with us that they were thinking about killing themselves and throwing themselves off a balcony because of being fear, because afraid of being captured. So these are all questions that we can deal with in real time. And I know our audience may be listening going, oh my, these are really difficult questions. Yes, they're difficult questions. But I think also when we talk about the response, they're in real time now. Persons having that fear, we're not having to wait. Of course, we're on, we're on Zoom 
we have, there's been an average of anywhere between, you know, let's say 600 individuals viewing this all the way up to 3,000. I think one had 4,500 um, views afterwards. So we're not seeing everybody that we're talking with, but we're, get, we're hearing back and we're getting references back about how much it's helping them. We're also trying to support by letting them know of the therapists that we have heard are offering sessions in Ukrainian and we put their names and numbers in the chat box so that they can have support after our meetings. Mm-hmm. So it is something that is... Um, it's kind of hard to negotiate. And also, we also want to make sure we're providing support after the fact, um, which is not always easy during a time of war. And also, that's also with the assumption that a person would talk to a therapist. And we know that, Wendy, how many places have we gone in the world where there haven't been therapists, or if they've had them, people are not psychologically oriented to go to. Well, I, I'm recalling after the Haiti earthquake that one in the a hospital in Inch, she was serving a region of one person, one person with, you know, a social work background. I, I want to say it was more than 20,000, easily over 20,000. Well, I think she would say 60,000. I remember her talking to us. She goes, I my, I have, I'm the only psychologist for 60,000 people. Yeah. So how can you possibly do that? That's why we have to think about scalability. But when we think about the second question, let me just bring this up. Um, so the teacher said, I offer online classes for Ukrainian students um, and kids and, uh, that I and I don't know even who's going to show up every day. Some of the kids she doesn't know. Every time someone is sharing their war-related fears, what is the best way to respond to them? I'm afraid I won't be able to gather myself when listening to these stories or that there will be too many of them, but still they cannot be banned. What is the best strategy to handle this given the online lessons are so short in time and do I allow some de- designated time for this? So do you want to talk a little bit about how we responded to it, Wendy, and I can add in? Well, yeah, and it, it, it's part of the beauty of having these teams of people all with their own viewpoints, their own experiences. So when we bring in the support team, we intentionally choose them off when we can for the topic that's that's coming up. So we just had a, a brilliant team to a- address this. And um, I, I really feel like it, it, by approaching it from all those different lenses, it fleshes out the picture so that it can really help yes. quite a bit. But also it it always, when sometimes I'm taken aback by a question, I just remind myself it's all go, comes back to the body and the wisdom in the body and the wisdom in the nervous system and the goals of the nervous system are to help us survive. And that the teacher, I remember one of the thing, first things we did was to, to post the um, links to those four webinars so that the teacher herself would be able to study the skills and help herself stay in her own resilience zone and therefore be better able to help the kids. But also, um, even as she starts the lesson, prioritizing resourcing and grounding and resiliency questions at the very beginning before she even starts any of the lesson plan, because the lesson plan is secondary when these kids are in in such a traumatized state, you know? Right, because what happens to the prefrontal cortex if the kids are traumatized, can they really take in new information? And what we've learned is it's, it's, it's difficult for them to do so. So if they can start in a more resource space, mm-hmm. they can actually 
be able to take in the information in a different way. So go on, Wendy. Yeah, what else? No, they, can, they can take in the information and and also they learn very critical skills because after all, the teacher might be with them for one hour a day or so, but the skills that they're learning about the resourcing, they have that as the day gets difficult when they get out of school and they're at home and something happens or maybe their their younger sibling gets you know, activated by something, they can say, hey, you know, I learned something today. Maybe you'd like to go push against a wall. It really makes me feel better when I did that before. You want to drive it with me. So they can become peer-to-peer support for each other, both in the online classroom setting and in their own family. And that in itself becomes a resource because that empowers them to know that they, they can do something when they start feeling out of control, when the war is really getting to be upsetting to them they can do something. They, they can change what's going on in their own mind. Right. And I think that those were part of our responses. I think the other part is that we also address the teacher and how difficult that would be for her, that here she also is experiencing the, you know, the war and she's trying to be present for those children. And one of the things that was pointed out by one of the other educators, Anna, was that oftentimes when there is an online learning environment um, that you may have children in the classroom that are in Ukraine in areas that are being shelled daily. You may have children that have are in another country that are coming from the other country to their, um, their online learning. You also may have children that have for, for over 40 days throughout the, the time of the shelling have lived in underground shelters. So you have all of these children with different experiences. And so here you have one teacher trying to meet the needs of all these children. So we talked about her and just the need for her to also utilize these skills, like you've already said, Wendy, that she can go to to put that oxygen mask on herself and that to help. But we really wanted to affirm that what she's experiencing is, you know, is extraordinary and that teachers aren't, you know, and here's our module. If you're learning to be a teacher on how to bring um, education to children who are also living through war. So I think that's the other part of what we are doing and experiencing is helping and learning from also our Ukrainian colleagues, what is helping them, what is helping their children. And we're adding our little ingredients from this trauma lens and trauma-informed perspective and resiliency-informed perspective. And they, and they are telling us how helpful it is to get this information, which was one of the reasons why I was crying <laughs> right earlier because of those gratitude tears of how much it meant. Um, so believe it or not, we're almost ready for our break, Wendy. So I just want our audience to know we are going to come back. Um, we're going to also share another story with you um, that is so dear about a mother um, who had to go to Portugal with her son and some of the struggles she has being a displaced person and her worries for her child. So we want to bring you both these lenses um, today um, when we come back. And Wendy, it's so lovely to speak with you. And I just want our listeners to know that she's going to be coming back with more of her wisdom. Um, I want to just say something. I know we only have about a minute or so left before the break, but I'm so uh, fond of Wendy Flick because I often feel like if it wasn't for her, maybe I wouldn't be doing this work. I think we both feel a certain kind of cross-section of gratitude for each other. Um, But it is important to know that when, you know, I think never to um, 
underestimate the power of the relationships we have in our lives. And that sometimes there's a relationship we may have, and maybe we don't talk for a number of years, but those relationships matter. And I really feel that way about Wendy and what we have jointly with our, not only with the two of us, but with our amazing volunteers and employees of TRI have been able to do in these last, gosh, I guess it's getting to be 50 days now um, since the war started. So we'll be back in a, in, a, in a few minutes and Wendy will continue to share her wisdom with us and we'll continue to give you some more information about the Ukrainian Humanitarian Resiliency Project. I always have to say the right, the right order of those words. So we'll be back in just, a, in just a couple minutes and we'll further our discussion with Wendy Flick. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karis book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Welcome back. Um, I'm here with Wendy Flick today. She is the International Coordinator of, from the Trauma Resource Institute, and she is coordinating our Ukrainian Humanitarian Resiliency Project. I said that faster this time, Wendy. <laughs> so we're going to continue uh, with our discussion about how we both have been working over the last more than 50 days now in bringing this project forward. And we've been both stunned, I think, because of all the work that we've done on the ground after disasters that we've actually been able to accomplish this during a disaster. And so we were just talking about um, one of the questions that came from one of the teachers. And I don't know if there's anything you want to add, Wendy, to what we were talking about. Do you mean question two or question one? Um, we'll go to question one soon, but the, in terms of what we were just talking about regarding one of the teachers, that uh, is there anything else we should say about her, um, that question and what we came up with? Because I think we came up with a lot of different ideas for the teacher. And we actually had a teacher from um, um, a school district in um, Atlanta that gave some great ideas too of, of what she's done. So I don't know if there's anything oh, more you want to yeah, say. I, I loved what she shared, um, Catherine from Woodward. Yes. And I love what she shared. Now it it's in a real classroom, an actual physical classroom, but I felt like that was inspiring to have her with the video background of her own classroom and the chalkboard and things. Cause I think yes. for the teachers that are longing to get back to a real classroom, I can imagine, I felt in my own body that it felt like that could be resourcing for them. But also, she has a brilliant thing that she's done to help her own kids resource. At the beginning of each day, they will think of something good that happened to them. It can just be a little thing, anything whatsoever, anything they're grateful for, something good that happened to them. Write it on a little piece of paper and they put it in a, in a glass jar. And then for the, then anytime they're feeling like they need a little bit of a boost, anybody can go to that jar, reach in and pull out a piece of paper and read something helpful to them. Yeah. And I think it was also something that, that was helpful for them. It could be a person or a place or a thing Mm -hmm. that maybe uplifted them. That was, I think the other thing that she had. And so we were talking about that because that's in a living classroom. But what if you're on Zoom? And so then the course she goes, oh, you can put it in chat. And so then people can even save chats if they want. If they have a computer, they can look at those later. Or even while you're in the classroom, if you find yourself getting bumped out of your, what we call the resilient zone or your zone of well-being, then you could get back um, into your resilient zone. But I think one of the things that I thought was important was having a structure. We we believe that it was important that the children have an opportunity to be able to say something about their fears if and and not to avoid them, but to maybe have a structure in the classroom where you start with resourcing and then say, does anybody have anything else they want to share? But we also encouraged her that as the children were sharing to integrate questions. And we've learned this from being um, really on the ground during and after disasters. And that these are questions that are like, well, so um, what is helping you the most now? Do you, remember the, do you remember the moment that you got to the safer place? And maybe the safer place is underground, but questions that are what we call strength-based questions that could be integrated into the, you know, let's say the fearful or traumatic experience that also reminds the child that there's other things that were also true about what happened. And, and so we also have learned that when you do that, that our lens as human beings tend to go to the more, um, some, sometimes the more positive aspects. Oh, I remember that person came up to me and gave me a stuffed animal. Things like that 
tend to start then creeping up to the top. It's almost like um, once things get cleared from the experience of feeling the trauma, the trauma, that you can also remember those things that were beneficial to you. So we did talk about that as well. So again, when we're, we're meeting with, at this point, we're answering these questions from a teacher, we're trying to have this wonderful um, tapestry of trauma experts and crim skills teachers helping us with giving the response. So is there, is there anything more you wanted to add to that? And we'll go to the second, the next question, Wendy. I thought it'd be probably good to talk about well, the next I, one. I remember because she's the teacher herself didn't yet know any of the crim skills, but even in that short time, I felt like we were able to teach her a few skills and even talking about um I think it was Susan that was talking about how if she learns to track her own body and the child is speaking about a story and she notices herself getting a little bit distressed, she knows it's time to take a little pause, little resiliency pause, go back to, you know, where they began with resourcing and the resiliency questions and then sort of using her own body as a mirror to know um, when to do that pause and to help bring down the tension again. Well, and I think it's that self-evaluation piece that we have found is so important that is called, you know, or the fancy term for it is interceptive awareness, right? Because we always kind of like, you know, uh, weave in the in, uh, neuroscience nuggets. But people who have this awareness that studies have been found have better what we call affect regulation, can can manage their emotions better, and also have better impulse control. So there you go, the value of that, not only for the teacher, but also for um, for the children, because yeah. the teacher, you know, sometimes when you're uh, a teacher has explained to me, she goes, oftentimes she goes, I'm not in trauma. And my, you know, a kid, let's say there's been a domestic violence episode in their family, so I can help them. But what makes, I think this is also different is that the teachers are also experiencing war as well as the students. So it's really happening to both. So things that we can contribute to both makes, I think, a, a big, um, I think makes, makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this next question I want we want to share with you is the second question. This is the other question that we, we uh, addressed today. And it was from a parent who said, I fled to um, Portugal with my kid. We don't know anyone here. My son is nine. Recently, he asked me to get him a toy so that he could have a friend. He also, he only meets his friends online. He really lacks communication because I have not yet got him into school here. My heart is breaking. How do I support him? Sure. So I think this, this question is probably being repeated over and over by possibly millions of individuals from just this one conflict in Ukraine. And also, you know, we also want to just, I guess, underscore again, that we know there's conflicts in many parts of the world that we haven't had the opportunity to intervene upon like we have here. So one of the things that I'll start out with, Wendy, because I just, Susan Reedy is a licensed marriage family therapist, and she's been working with us for so many years, and she also helped to develop our family resiliency program within the Trauma Resource Institute. Um, but she's a play therapist. And the first thing that came out of her mouth, which I just loved, was really um, uh, affirming the mother that her child was doing something that children do because children speak through play. And that's why we have play therapists, right? Or expressive arts therapists as well. And so the fact that this little boy um, asked for a toy was also really speaking to his well-being and his resilience, that he knew that he needed something. 
And so, the, and the mom was, I think, concerned that, oh my goodness, because he asked for a toy. But then one of the therapists said, oh, in my, in my private practice, she says, I see an eight-year-old boy. And he, um, every time we meet, he's in his room showing me all the toys and what they mean to him. But then there's the, the sadness of realizing that many children, I think in this case, that in haste had to leave Ukraine, go to a safer part of Ukraine, or even go into a shelter or go out of the country, they couldn't take their toys with them. And so then one of our, um, one of our, um, our trauma therapists, Stephanie said, oh, you know, I want to share something that happened with my daughter. And during the pandemic, they had to move and her daughter was experiencing something similar to this little boy. Of course, it wasn't during war, so it was a bit different. But she said, what my daughter did was she created um, paper dolls. And these paper dolls were very important to her. They all had names and their characters. And then there was a point once she became more settled in her new place where she was, that she told her mom she didn't need to have the paper doll friends anymore. I think it's because she had made other human friends. But I think that also, I think what we all felt um, was that children have an amazing capacity to create toys and things. And Wendy, you brought up something from Haiti. You want to share that right now? Because you brought up a really positive memory um, for me about when we were working in Haiti after the 2010 earthquake. Yeah, and it has to do with what you're talking about with the tremendous resiliency of kids and creativity. And in the Haiti earthquake, as most people know, there were huge numbers of people displaced out of the city and their houses had gone down. They, they couldn't take anything with them. They were lucky to have escaped with their lives, but it wasn't long. Elaine, we, it was only a few weeks after the earthquake. We were out there. I know, the we were. Camp in, the, in the rural area. And these little boys had found empty plastic water bottles and they collected the little lids and they put sticks through as axles, sort of, and then put a little string. They created little cars and then they would have car races. They would interact with each other. They were laughing and joyful. And I just coming back to that, it just reminded me kids have that in them and it doesn't matter what the crisis is. They, they, as long as you can help them with a few simple skills to get back in their resilience zone, they can recreate toys. And you know, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's incredible. And I, and I think that's, you know, we shared that because, you know, may not have the resources, but there are resources that children have because sometimes their imaginations and what they can create are greater than we adults can create. But the exactly. other thing is that what was really exciting, I think for me in this particular call was the, um, we found out that um, the mother was online and she was communicating to one of the people at EdCamp. And so she told us after we, to- after we, to- we sh- Susan had shared about the toys that she shared um, that she felt much better knowing that actually him asking for the toy was not because there was something lacking in him, but that there was a strength in him that also came from just her care of him, that he knew that there was something that he was missing and that he knew what he needed. And yeah. then we were all just, you know, really talk about tears in the eyes. So then the mother shared, oh, the toy that he shared that he wanted was Yoda from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And, and then we, and we and I, you know, knowing that very well, most of us know Yoda, but Yoda is such a wise and compassionate being. And the fact that was the toy that he wanted. And um, I was reading later about the meaning of Yoda that I guess they feel comes from Hebrew, which means warrior, 
but also means one who knows. And I thought, oh my gosh, what the sweetness of that little boy, maybe in knowing that in his little body, that that's what he needed at that time. I, I wish we could go back and tell the meaning of the word Yoda. I guess we'll have yeah. to say it tomorrow. I mean, our next call, which will be on Wednesday. Yeah. But I think those kinds of responses that we can create in response to this mother's fear was really important. But there were lots of things that we discussed about this particular issue. Do you want to highlight any ones that come to your mind that you think are important? Well, one thing that now I wish we had said was- yeah, Of course, just, we can always go back. There's right? always more. There's always more to be said every time. But the imagination piece, and I think we've said it on previous calls when we were talking about children, but if they don't have anything physical, if they don't have crayons and paper, if they don't have- you know, physical materials, there are so many different games you can play with kids, uh, you know, imagining themselves to be an animal and what kind of animal do they want to be and um, helping to learn, helping them learn to track as they imagine the animal and move like the, and they imagine the animal moving and they can calm themselves down that way. And it, it's a, more than a distraction, it, it gets them in the present moment in their body, but in an imaginative, creative, strength-based way. So I never want to underestimate the imagination. Either. You know, and I think, and I'm hoping that what you're hearing from us too, because I'm, we don't want to minimize the fact that we're, that what people, the people are suffering, children are suffering. But I think what we're doing is we're not only acknowledging that and giving some ideas to help to mitigate or rede- reduce the degree of their suffering, um, but also giving ideas of how to help their children in the here and now, because I think our trauma experts, we've had child psychologists and trauma therapists who specialize in children saying, remember also that yes, the child may have gone through this, but the child is so much, has so much um, other qualities that you also want to continue to pay attention to. So it's not like we want to only focus on, on the, the, uh, the challenges the war has brought because we also had questions um, in an earlier call about um, sexual assault of children that's happened as a result of war and how to help them. I mean, and our responses were first, to, if they can get that child medical care, because if there has been sexual assault, there can be damage to that part of the body um, because their little, you know, their little sexual organ section is not meant for being sexually assaulted. So sometimes there has to be repairs, there can be fistulas and other things. And I know that some of this may be things that our audience hasn't been used to hearing, but we were trying to bring that kind of information and to know that so far, and there may be more, but the 23 hospitals have been destroyed. Um, And also that means medical clinics. So that means that medical care isn't easy to get a hold of, but we are also trying to help people understand that these are kinds of things that also need to be looked at, including, you know, being screened for sexually transmitted diseases and other things that, you know, are horrible to think about for one's little child that may have been sexually assaulted or teenager. But I think the other part of that is we've also emphasized what else is true about this child? What other other kind of components of what this, this child is that you also want to water and nourish knowing that this has happened to them? And will they maybe need trauma therapy later on? They may, but at at this point, we're trying to help them with skills of well-being so that children remember what else is true. But most important, the parents do as well. Mm -hmm. So the parents don't only 
you know, I think as a parent, we get so worried about our children that we can focus on, on the horror of this and not remember also how we can cultivate the well-being, which is also very important to do during these times. So yeah. I, I hope people are getting the quality of the, of the difficulty, too, of the kinds of questions we're getting. So over to you, Wendy. Any, any thoughts coming up for you right oh, now? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, I was just thinking about the resiliency questions that we ask that can help them um, move away from being in survival response because sometimes the people will arrive in a safer city and their body hasn't caught up with their mind in terms of knowing that they actually survived. So it seems like a simple thing, but sometimes that is such a powerful transformation when you ask that question, when did you know you were safer? It's like, oh my God, I, I did survive. You know, and that it just, that can be the shift. And the power in that, it seems like a simple thing, but it, uh, yeah. Well, and also we have one of our, um, one of our therapists, Arena. she actually lives in California. She's been going to the border, the Tijuana border, where there's Ukrainian uh, refugees that are amassing. And she's been working with some of the children and also working with the adults. And that's a question that she found has been really important that all of a sudden it's almost like someone has poured, you know, has, has also just given someone a sweet nectar to remind them, oh, yes, there is that. Oh, and you can, you know, you can hear the, the parasympathetic breath and the nervous system coming back into balance and the person coming into the present moment, which does seem to be, we always talk about present moment awareness and like mindfulness, but also in the community resiliency model, present moment awareness is done through the skills that can be done in a nanosecond. You don't have to go to a quiet space. You can do it in a present moment. And I, there was also one of the, um, one of, I love the, uh, Stephanie brought this too about her daughter, that when she is feeling out of sorts, she has a little stuffed bear and she touches the ears of the bear with her hands, a sensory awareness, right? The softness and the movement of her hands. And she can see her daughter come back into balance again. And that was shared on the call today as something too that the parents can do is using the sensory system. It's a skill we call gesturing, which is also connected to reading the nervous system that can help in very simple ways stabilize the nervous system. Even when someone's gone through something so horrific, like the images of wars, or we're talking about sexual assaults that we know are not easy, not only to live through, but to survive from, but to know that there is hope. And that's one of the things that we're trying to engender. And they're saying back to us, oh, I can experience a little bit of hope right now, even when I didn't know hope was possible. And we've heard that more than once, haven't we, Wendy? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's hard to describe it as a beautiful experience, but I guess it's the sacred element of it, you know, sacred. because the war is so horrific. But at the same time, we have this, these connections where you can really see, you can almost see the tension drop. And they tell us in the chat or they'll unmute themselves and just say, thank you. You know, I, I feel like I can make it through another day now. And even if, even if all we can do is create those moments of respite so that it's not just up here, up here, up here, up here, or down here, but just a few moments of respite. I, re I remember another time we shared the resourcing exercise where you pull out a photograph on your phone. And that was so powerful. It's powerful with kids and adults, but everybody held up to their camera on, on what, whatever device they were on, one of their favorite pictures. And I just remember that, the laughter and everybody seeing each other's grandson or their cat or a beautiful tree out in the springtime. And, 
it just brings that human connection back into it as what else is true. You know, we can connect, we can care about each other here in this sacred place, you know. You know, and, and, and this is not, I think, a, I don't believe it's a benign intervention either, because we know that when we cumul- accumulate, right, stress and trauma in our lives, that there is a physiological um, aspect of it that's called toxic stress. We've talked about it on the show in the past, but toxic stress is physiological. Mm-hmm. And when those, um, when your stress hormones are part of our the, you know, the elegant design of the human nervous system, but they're only meant for momentary, like getting away from threat or fighting threat. But if you if we get our, our let's say our foot stuck on the accelerator of our nervous system, that means those um, hormones that are really meant for a short period of time are going into our system um, over longer periods of time. So when Wendy said about these little moments of respite, they, we are, they're reporting that they, they are, they are, they're feeling better um, many of them are feeling better as a as a result of these little moments of respite. I think one of the the ones that comes to mind is the woman whose mother couldn't sleep, and so she taught her resourcing, and her resource was remembering when she fell in love with her husband. And she said later that was the first night that she, when she accessed that resource. But it's not just thinking. Then that the, sim- the parasympathetic nervous system comes into play to remember that moment of love when you fell in love. It's like it's a it's a mind body experience, and then her nervous system could rest, and she could get that first night of sleep. And you can imagine that's very difficult. Oh my goodness, Wendy, we have three minutes left. Oh my it's, gosh, oh, that went by so fast. <laughs> I told you this would go by fast. But, you know, I want to end um, with a story of a woman who we have come to appreciate. Her name is Mariana. But on March 1st, 2022, in an anguished voice, she came on and said, well, my name is Mariana. My house is destroyed. My office is being shelled. I have barely escaped with my life. Um, And she had, her voice was shaky as we spoke with her. And we told her, and she said, my life will never be the same again. How can I ever be happy again? How can I ever have joy? And we embraced her, didn't we? And we said, can you, can even, and she goes, and I can't share this with my family because I have to support them. And so we said to her, can you feel our support now? And we said more things to her, but what ended up happening in, in what was probably what, a 30 minute conversation, she said at the end, she said, oh, well, you know, I can sense now maybe that I'm not alone. And she said, I, maybe it is possible. She goes, oh, I'm crying. Thank you for that. The group is helping. And maybe I can feel this is a safe space and I can feel safe here. That meant a lot to us. And I share that story of her because um, then the, she came a couple days later. We were talking about the power of music to help during these times of respite. And all of a sudden, there was a beautiful a cappella voice singing a hymn. We didn't know it was Mariana when she started to sing, but then she revealed it was her. And she said that through the course of what had happened to her in the last few days, that she had experienced, I think, a bit of hope, and it was like a miracle to her. Mm-hmm. So I want to end with that. And also, my great gratitude, Wendy, for you to come in to a pinch hit today. Oh my gosh, my friend. My pleasure. Talk about this project that's so dear to our heart. So I want to remind everyone to remember what else is true. If you are suffering in America or other parts of the world, or if you have a loved one in your, from Ukraine, or if you're from Ukraine, remember what else is true about your life. How can you nourish this moment 
what what is helping you right now? Who or what is helping you? And you know, and remember um, that we do have this common humanity that binds all of us. And when we focus on the love and the peace that can happen with all of us, I think we have a better world, don't we, Wendy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can reach Wendy and I. You can reach Wendy um, through the Trauma Resource Institute dot com. Just um, go to that website, and you can talk to her there. And you know, you can reach me at Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Thank you so much for coming and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.